Some people do use apologetics wrong. Even I did at first. I will admit to being like pretty triumphalistic, even just in my own thinking and the way that I interacted with people. And all that did was like make people mad, push them into a corner. You never evangelize that way. Evangelization is first and foremost, trying to be a good Christian and letting other people see that. Like it brings joy to my life. In a polarized and fragmented society, truth can often be used as a weapon that drives division. How should we give the right answers so that we build bridges instead of burning them? In this week's episode, COO of Catholic Answers John Sorensen shows us how our understanding of the faith becomes tangible in daily and ordinary settings. A faith you can defend is a faith you can own and embrace. If you're serious about your Catholicism, serious enough that you're gonna apply the principles in a leadership position, then you ought to know it pretty well. And I think learning apologetics and understanding the how and why of why we believe what we believe, why do we do this, why is it important, those are all things that you need to know because eventually somebody's gonna ask you a question about it. Oh yeah, this guy's obviously Catholic, the things that he, the Catholic faith is is very instrumental in how he conducts himself in business and how he treats other people. Those things are all important and eventually somebody's going to ask you about it. If we truly believe that the Catholic faith is our gateway to eternity, then we should be eager to deepen our understanding of it. We should cherish and share the treasures of the church and be prepared to give answers to anyone who asks for them. This is Living the Call. John Sorensen, welcome to the show. Thanks. Thanks for having me. What's going on, brother? Good to see you here in the studio. It's fantastic. I like your studio. Thank you very yeah, much. Yeah, it's cool. I was trying to explain to somebody, actually, it may have been Hector who we were talking to on, on the podcast. The And it's not like people don't know this, but just the difference of being, the dynamic of being in person. Yeah. It's a completely different thing. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? It's yeah. like, because I'm looking at you and we're right here and... It's I'm just, over Zoom calls, man. Are I, you? I've done so many of them over the last year. I just, I, it's now when I have to do one, I'm like, oh gosh. So any chance to talk to somebody in, in person? person. <laughs> are you, are you typically like a pretty gregarious person or are you kind of like a, like, well, how would you define yourself on that whole Myers Greg thing, Briggs thing? Oh gosh. My wife knows all that. I think I'm a INF something or other. Oh, just like me. Okay. I, I don't know what the, yeah. Well, the I is the important one, which mm-hmm. is the, are you introvert or extrovert? So you're probably, if you're I, that means you're starting off introverted. Yeah. I am too. But. Yeah. I, well, I don't know how I fit into, she can explain it actually better than I can, but <laughs> I, I'm pretty, I mean, I have no problem uh, talking to people. I'm, I'm not outgoing. I don't seek it. But yeah. if I ha- if I'm in a situation where, you know, there's lots of people around, I have no problem striking up conversation. Yeah. I, I am too. I just, it's apparently like if you're an introvert, like I am, it just, it, it uses a lot of energy. To like, that's the whole thing is like where you draw your energy from, at least as I understand it. And if you're an introvert, you draw your energy al- by being alone. Mm. Whereas if you're an extrovert, my wife is an extrovert. You draw your energy from people. Like your battery's filling as you're around other people. Uh, my battery's is dropping as I'm around other people, as much as I love it. Yeah. It just, you know what I mean? Yeah. I wonder if that, I wonder if, is it possible for these things to change as you get older? I'm sure it is. Yeah. I mean, who knows what the science for real is even behind it? I have no idea. You know what I mean? But it seems to be pretty accurate. I remember the first time that I actually did this with, um, I took that test, the woman who facilitated it for our company was like a big corporation. Mm-hmm. She, um, she read off the thing and was like, INFP, I think is what it was, yeah. but it was, you know, introvert and all this other stuff. And she looked at me and she says, you just must be so exhausted. And I was like, I am. 
I'm so <laughs> tired because it was, you know, the kind of job where you have to be on and travel and do all these different things. But Oh yeah, that is exhausting. I mean, you know, at work when, you know, especially when we do our conference in September, um, you're on the whole time and it's for days in, uh, in a row. And then, uh, you know, I went one time and we did a, a cruise on the Danube mm-hmm. and that was a That's week. in Germany for those who may not know. Right. right? And that was a, that was a week on a boat with, uh, with, uh, with people at Catholic Answers or that were, you know, fans of Catholic Answers. Sure. And they, they all wanted to, uh, you know, they wanted to hear about, you know, how, how did you end up? working there yeah. and what's your backstory and this kind sure. of stuff. And, and, uh, you know, I can do that a couple of times, but after, you know, like. <laughs> I totally get it. That's the thing is like when you see the same person again down the hallway and it's like, we just had that talk and now mm. we're about to interface again. They're coming 20 feet away and they're walking towards you. You're like, it's like, what, what we can't do it again. You right. Know? Right. But my wife is the extrovert who she's like going to either talk about it again, say it a different way. And I'm yeah. just like, okay, yeah. Put that one away. <laughs> yeah. How, how, how big is that boat? Oh gosh, I don't know. I think it slept like 200 people or something oh, so pretty, pretty comfortably. Yeah. It was a decent size. Yeah, it's not tiny, but it's not, you know, I mean, it, it has to be small enough to fit on a river. Yeah. Uh, but it's pretty good. I mean, it's a good size river too, so. For sure. Yeah. Had but, you been to Europe before, Germany before? Uh, that, you know, I went, so I went to um, Italy mm-hmm. when I was 18, but I was not Catholic at the time. So uh, I yeah. missed it. You know, it, it's, I tell people this all the time. I would love to go back again someday because when I was, when I went the first time, I sort of took it for granted. I was an 18 year old. All I was interested in was like, where do I get my next beer? <laughs> right. And, uh, and so even when I, wa- I, I was there, uh, I saw, I think it was a weekday address. A Wednesday uh, address. So you did go to Vatican city, even if you weren't Catholic. Yeah. Yeah. And was I saw, that it just was just like tourism. Like you just wanted, you were interested. Yeah. I just walked in there and, uh, you know, and it was Pope John Paul II giving yeah. a Wednesday address. And I have, pictures of it but of course he looks like a tiny little dot right. on the you know standing on a balcony right and i thought wow this is pretty neat old stuff like going to a museum you know i think if i went back now i would have a much different reaction to the things that are there because they mean a lot more to me now than than they would have at that point it's kind of like going to disney world and not riding space mountain sort right. of thing you know what i mean it's like yeah, you yeah. kind of missed out a little bit on it. Was that your idea to go to Vatican City when you were there? Or was that like the tour guide decided to invite? So I went with my aunt, my dad's youngest sister was working for the, I think she was contracting for the military uh, as a school teacher or something at the Mm -hmm. time. So when I went to, when I went to Italy, I was visiting her because she'd been away for a while. And, uh, you know, I was like a atheist. I'd grown mm-hmm. up a little bit with some Catholicism when I was uh, little, but at that point I was an atheist. So I, Were you avowed, like an avowed atheist or just didn't know enough and you, somebody asked you, you're like, ah, I don't know if I believe in God. Like, No, avowed. Was like, I was avowed. like, there okay. is no God. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Got it. I always think of the other as, you know, if you're on the fence about whether there's a God or not, I feel like you're more properly an agnostic. True. Yeah. yeah Even yeah. though the, there's atheists who feel that way, they, they still want to call themselves atheists. I'm like, well, okay, yeah, fine. You're technically not. Yeah. I'll just accept your whatever you want to call yourself. That's right. That's fine. You know, don't have to, it's life's too short to argue about minutia like that. But, but yeah, but it was, but it was an interesting trip. That's the only other time I had been to, uh, to Europe. Hmm. Yeah. So, and you're this atheist kid and you're at the Vatican and you're seeing John Paul II, which, at that point, is just like, is that an old guy like in a white dress or is that, do you know who the Pope is? I knew who the Pope was. Okay. Yeah. I mean, he'd, he'd been, as a matter of fact, I thought it was really weird when he died because most of my life I only knew of one Pope and I just thought Popes were, you know, these guys that lasted forever or something. Well, certainly he did. I mean, yeah, he, he did. Super durable. Right. Pope. Yeah. Yeah. 
And so that was interesting. Did that did that sow seeds? I mean, I'm sure it did on some level. Uh, yeah. I don't I don't know. I, I I don't I feel like the the Catholic faith has always kind of been there for me, even when I didn't want to have anything to do with it. It was just kind of there. Um, there were things that uh, that always kind of stuck in my mind. My grandmother uh, passed away of cancer when I was little, and I just mm. remember her really sick in bed, and she had a rosary. She would pray the rosary, and there were little things like that that I noticed and remembered, like how much comfort it brought her. Yeah. Um, I just felt like the Vatican was a, like a giant museum. That's, yeah. what it, that's what it felt like to me at that time. And there is a really great museum there, too. Well, yeah. Um, but I get your point. Was there... I mean, what were like the series of steps from that point to you going like, oh, maybe there could be this thing that's God? Oh, gosh. So my grandfather passed away. This is years later. Mm-hmm. My grandfather passed away on St. Patrick's Day in 2000. And this is my mom's dad. And he and I were pretty close. Mm-hmm. And I remember being at his funeral and they're wheeling the casket by. Mm-hmm. And it was in a Catholic church. And I don't know what the level of his Catholicism was. My mom tells me stories about how he used to like go to the earliest mass and then split right after communion. <laughs> so I don't know. I don't know, like I said, what the level of his Catholicism was, but he had a Catholic funeral. And so they, when the casket came by, I just remember feeling like, wow, um, is this all that there is? Mm. And, uh, and then for a couple of years after that, just kind of waking up in the middle of the night and feeling just sort of cold dark emptiness how old were you uh 20 well if that was 2000 i would have been uh early 20s mm-hmm. and uh or well mid-20s actually gosh time, time flies, flies but, man yeah time flies but uh but anyway yeah i'm he, 73 just so you know so <laughs> 73 no i'm yeah. 73 is in my the, my year of vintage oh yeah me too yeah okay well there you go yeah perfect yeah. year mm-hmm. um but uh, yeah, so the, the casket comes wheeling by. I remember thinking that. And then, uh, you know, at the time I was living in San Diego and I was, I was the manager. I, I managed a bar and I was just basically like, you know, a beach, Southern California beach pothead. And just as an aside, John, can I tell you that I think there's like a couple things that can be these platforms for all human learning. Bars, I think, can be one of them in a weird way. Yeah. Like, I mean, the people you interact with and do. The other one is like strangely Texas Hold'em poker. Yeah, playing poker is like uh, there's like lessons in it for life are incredible. Yeah, but yeah. anyway, sorry. It's, I mean it's weird how you you pull things out of just sure. random occurrences. But I, I would wake up feeling like gosh, you know, is there has to be more to this than just existing and then dying. It feels like I don't know, like sort why? of anticlimactic. Climatic, you know, mm-hmm. what is the point of all this? So I started going to the, um, there was a library down the street from my apartment and, uh, I would, um, sounds kind of cheesy, but I was a young guy, so I wasn't Catholic, you know, but I would, you know, I'd drink a couple beers, smoke mm-hmm. a joint and then head down to the library mm-hmm. and read books on what the other, uh, you know, what the different world religions taught about the afterlife. Now th- this was, di- are you consciously doing this? In other words, I want to find out where grand- my grandfather is, or you're just interested in that subject matter. I was just interested in the subject matter. Okay. It wasn't about the Catholic faith. It was just about is, you know, is it possible? Is it even possible that there's something after Got it. Okay. all this, Yeah. you know, yeah. the afterlife in general? What does, because every culture seemingly has some version of an afterlife Yeah. and I thought, well, gosh, every culture, maybe there's something to that. And so I wanted to learn about what 
the different, you know, especially the the major world religions, Christianity, Islam, Judaism. I wanted to find out what they taught about the afterlife. And so I spent a lot of time reading on that. And it got me to thinking, you know, and then you go down these rabbit holes, right? So sure. I started thinking about, well, you know, is it possible that God, maybe he exists, maybe I'm wrong about that. And so I started reading different arguments from Christian perspectives. I encountered uh, Aquinas's five ways, although mm -hmm. it was a little too deep for me at the time. Um, Still is for me. Yeah, it's pretty deep, yeah. but I've, I've since had a lot of people kind of explain it. There were things that I understood about it that, that I could grasp just from reading the text, but then, you know, there were things in it that uh, were sort of above my ability to comprehend just mm -hmm. because I didn't understand, like, how do philosophers use, how is he using these particular words or, sure. and I didn't really understand the layout of it. If you've read it, it's kind of mm -hmm. in a weird format. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, but then I discovered books that, you know, would explain it and those kinds of things. And so I had, I had really lightened up on the idea that, uh, I still didn't know if I totally bought the existence of God, but I had lightened up on it. Mm -hmm. So I was never like an, one of those angry atheists, like right. you see in the, you know, like Richard Dawkins or something where he's, he, he seems to be almost angry about religion. And do, you, do you find, I mean, look, one of the, 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 the I guess the. I don't know if it's a, it's an occupational benefit and perhaps sometimes an occupational hazard for you being being the COO of Catholic Answers, but that is you get to run into a lot of argumentation and, and perspectives and points of views. Do you find, generally speaking, that people, like, let's look at this atheist category for a second, kind of come in those flavors in terms of like, there's the sort of angry one, and then there's the one who's just like, a person of goodwill who just hasn't seen the right evidence or now believes that they're, like, how would you classify the those folks? And which one were you? Uh, well, so yeah, I, I think there's, I just recall when I was younger that atheists weren't as the atheists that I knew, I can't speak for all atheists. I wasn't, there wasn't a whole lot of internet. You remember those days? Oh yeah, for sure. And, uh, so there wasn't, a, you know, finding, even finding stuff from an atheist perspective was difficult. You know, I mean, I, I had, uh, uh, Bertrand Russell has, uh, his famous essay on, uh, why he's not a it's, I think it's called Why I'm Not a Christian. Mm -hmm. That was sort of like my guiding document when I was younger. Mm. And they just happened to have a copy of that. I think it was in a compendium or something in the library at my right. school. And um, among other things on religion, it was a pretty diverse collection of books that they had there. But um, I think I fit into the category of, I don't believe that there's a God it's fine if you do, and that helps you get through the day, but just leave me out of it. Mm. And that was sort of my perspective. I've always been kind of open to other people's perspectives, sure. and I don't jump down people's throats if they disagree with me. I mm -hmm. think it's better to try and get to the root of it. And I can't psychoanalyze the angry atheists. I can't stand it when other people do. You know, mm -hmm. they'll, you hear some people sometimes in the Catholic sphere say, oh, well, these, these atheists, they've got daddy issues or something mm -hmm. like that. Mm -hmm. I think... I think that's not a good road to go down. You know, it's interesting to think about, and maybe there's something to it. But I think when you, when I interact with people anyway, I try to stay away from that kind of stuff. I don't know what's happened in your background that got you from point A to point B. Um, whatever the reasons are, I'm sure you have good ones. You know, but maybe you just haven't encountered uh, a different point of view. But I definitely was sort of in the category like, ah, uh, you know, that's. I mean. I'm, my wife has always been staunch, diehard Catholic, and uh, she's never wavered in the faith. And we, she still married me, so that tells you something about 
well, it tells you more about her than it does about me. <laughs> right, right. But, but at least from my perspective, I wasn't like trying to challenge her all the time or, and I told her the same thing. I'm like, well, you know, I was born and raised Catholic before we got married, but I'm not, you know, I'm not a practicing Catholic and I don't really consider myself Catholic, even though I found right. out later that the church always considered me Catholic. Sure. Thank God. One faith, one baptism. That's right. Exactly. Mm -hmm. I'm glad for that because they never, you know, God doesn't give up on you. Were you were you antagonistic though to the faith at any more in that in those early days? I think maybe a little bit in yeah. high school and stuff, and and um, I, but um, but not not in a way that I think what I think I had this I think I had this vision of Catholics in my mind that there was there was two kinds of Catholics. There was like either the real nosy um, Catholic that was like really kind of in your face, and then there were these people who were just sort of barely Catholic. I don't mm. even know how to describe it. Like when, when I was a kid and I was going through CCD or I don't know. Oh, of course. Yeah. yeah. And, Catechism uh, class. Mm -hmm. yeah. And uh, I would ask questions about the faith and the teachers usually didn't really have really great answers. You know, I don't know. Shock. Yeah. I know. Right. And it's kind of the sad mm -hmm. state of affairs, but, um, and it's been that way for a long time. And I, you know, I'd ask these questions and I got, sometimes I'd get, it depended on which catechism teacher you asked you know sometimes the answer would be okay other times wasn't really an answer and all i really remember from ccd was like you know making crosses out of uh, elmer's glue and popsicle sticks i remember and, drawing a lot too that was the one thing i remember doing yeah and i suppose there's something to it but i think like i think kids are smarter than we give them credit for mm -hmm. um you know and so especially if you've got a kid that's really inquisitive might be a better idea to take that kids question seriously and not treat them like a, a kid that can't comprehend the answer, you know? For sure. Um, so it's just, it's, I suppose it sort of depends on the kid, but I wasn't an angry atheist. I just wanted to be left alone. And, and, uh, you know, I suppose if you, there were a few years there where I might've been like an angry atheist, but you know, I was a teenager. What teenager isn't angry? Yeah. Angry about something. Do you think some of the openness that you had around um, like other ideas and faiths and different traditions was tied to your kind of music openness or your musical inclinations? You know what? I think all of that music, everything just came from my folks. So I always joke and tell people I was raised by uh, uh, hippies in the woods. Just, you know, is that I, true? It is true. Yeah. I grew, <laughs> up, I grew up in the mountains and my, my parents are, you know, my yeah. parents are both like, you know, my mom's a college professor. She teaches anthropology. Okay. And, uh, and my subject. Yeah. And my dad is a, uh, my dad's a, um, an environmentalist, I guess. And mm -hmm. he's got kind of a complicated, uh, uh, job. It's, it's sort of hard to describe okay. what he does, but it, it's, he's an environmentalist. Mm -hmm. uh, that's the easiest way to describe it. But, but when I was a kid, you know, I mean, I grew up in the San Bernardino mountains. It's predominantly white. It's not a very diverse place, you know, but one of the benefits of uh, my dad's line of work was that he would have like, uh, and just my parents in general, they would have people from all different sorts of cultures. They really like all that stuff. So they mm -hmm. would have all these different people over. So I was always exposed to different cultures, different ways of thinking, not in a like, you know, let's sit down and talk about this person's culture, but just having these people around. Yeah. And, it's like and, a kind of openness. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. What drove it for them? Like why, do you know? I think what drove it for them, I can't say for sure, but I think what drove it for my dad in particular was that my grandfather was a doctor at a Catholic mission in Malawi, Africa in the 60s. That'll that'll do it. Yeah. That'll that'll and, help. And so my dad lived there uh and he, you know, he used to play with the local kids and well, you know, cool. they ate mice and all that other 
stuff. We actually went there a couple of years ago to visit. Did you uh, really? Mm-hmm. It's one of my the, one of my uh, bucket list items is East Africa. I've never been. Yeah, we went to we went to Malawi and we visited the Lakuni Mission Hospital there, where my grandfather worked, and saw the house that uh, my dad and my uncles lived in. And wow. one, of, one of my aunts was born there. I think that's probably where it came from for my dad. He likes to travel. I mean, he's he travels all over the world. His business is based in Abu Dhabi, so he's only here in the United States maybe fifty percent of the time, or. Not even that over the last couple of years has been, he's had so much work. He hasn't been able to get back very often, but uh, I think that had a lot to do with it. I'm sure it did. I have a, like a thesis that, you know, says that people generally transform or evolve or grow, however you want to define it through either coming in contact with perspectives and points of views that they need to grapple with that challenge their own kind of assumptions. Mm -hmm. And they have to either kind of work out, Hey, this is what I really believe in why. And like your grandfather did being physically in another place, mm-hmm. right? Like tr- the benefit of travel in that sense, but this is even more immersive than just traveling somewhere. This yeah. is like living and being part of that culture. I know that's the reason why I've got that affinity to different cultures and everything is because of that for me personally. Yeah, yeah. You spent a lot of time in... I did. We moved around quite a bit because, yeah. you know, my my dad ran a... Just like, you know, your grandfather had a... or, or your And your dad still has kind of these sort of interests overseas. My mm-hmm. dad grew up running a region for a bank that was an international region. Oh, cool. So we just kind of moved every year or two to a different place. And, you know, when I was that age, you know, age you're talking about, like early 20s, I hadn't even pieced in my head why these things were attractive. Like, you don't ask yourself that question. Like, well, why do I like this stuff? Yeah. But I can, looking back now, you know, 20 plus years later after that is because those are formative experiences. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's like you're kind of exposed to these different cultures and you're like, oh, so now when you go back to where you live, then yeah, you're going to be wanting to look at some of those things and interact with them. Yeah. Um, at least yeah. that was for me. Yeah. I think it was a good experience. You know, I don't have any, I definitely don't have any complaints about the way I was raised. The only probably the only difficulty for me was that, you know, my dad was a long haired, my parents were hippies. Yeah. And, and so like, how do you rebel in a house where your parents have done it? Everything. Become Catholic? Yeah. <laughs> I got to become like a right winger or something. Right. You know? Right. <laughs> what, were they, were they uh, religious at all? Were they, did they have a faith? Uh, not, not so much. You know, uh, growing up and stuff, I remember when I was real little, uh, they brought, you know, they brought me to church, but and of course they had me go to, you know, they took me to CCD classes and all that kind of stuff. But I don't, I don't feel like the, I don't feel like the faith was something that yeah. permeated our, our lives or, you know, and they ended up leaving after my grandmother passed away. And I don't really know exactly their reasons for that. I've never really asked them like, Hey, why mm-hmm. did you leave? I think it just didn't, I think they just had other, you know, I've asked my dad, you know, one time like about, the existence of God. And I don't recall his answer. I just remember we were on a boat and I mm-hmm. asked him what he thought about that. Mm-hmm. I just, but I don't think that it was something that they were a part of their worldview or maybe they just had different ideas or, or whatever it was, but they ended up leaving the, leaving the Catholic faith. I mean, it, it was, it didn't happen overnight. I just, I remember slowly uh, them just stopping they just didn't go anymore and and uh, as the years have gone by i think they've gotten even further away from it mm-hmm. you know um i talk to my mom a little bit about uh religion sometimes but not often i'm just at this point in my life especially with family i just want to keep the peace yeah of course so i try not to be too um i definitely don't talk to them about politics but when it comes to religion that's a little bit easier and i talk to my mom probably more about that than i do my dad mm-hmm I think it's probably pretty normal for sons to 
spend more time talking to their For moms sure. about that kind of stuff than yeah. with your dad. Yeah. But yeah, they're, I, I don't know exactly what drifted them away. I, I got maybe not caught up in that. It's maybe not the right way to express it, but, uh, but I definitely, you know, after they stopped going like, well, why would I go? Cause to me, I didn't really, you know, it's, it's poor catechesis coupled with your parents not going. That's like a recipe for like, see you later, basically. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Cause you're like, yeah. oh, well, I don't, I don't, uh, you know, they don't buy it. You know, I wasn't really taught from the teachers in the catechism classes right. why I should buy this. Although it doesn't necessarily mean that the outcome would be atheism, right? It could be that, you know, hey, we don't buy this and we're not super religious. So maybe, you know, you kind of dabble in a variety of things, you know? Yeah. My dad, my dad for a period of time when we were coming up, got super into new age stuff. Mm. It was like super, you know, these like silver mind control and crystals and the lost continent of uh, moon and all this other stuff. It was like a whole deal you yeah. know, out there. And it, it there was like an admixture of that in our faith experience. But during those years, I don't remember like us practicing actively any faith, you know, they're kind of like the lost years in my mind of what happened. So, but yeah, but no, it's a, to your point, it's a huge influence on your mm -hmm. worldview, what your parents do. And, and also like, you know, what they may or may not challenge you on. Right? right. Yeah. Yeah. But as you can imagine with parents who've done everything, it's, there's no way to rebel. So, you know, I probably was kind of angry about religion, even though I didn't know why. Hmm. Uh, and I, I suspect probably that had a lot to do with like, you know, late eighties, early nineties, I was really into like, I followed Slayer around like they were the Grateful Dead. You know what I mean? So I think that probably had something to do with it. Cause I'm like, you know, being fed this message of like, out of curiosity, what'd you think of like, you know, Stripes and all the kind of like heavy metal Christian groups? Were they just total posers for you at the time when you were? Oh yeah. 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 If you didn't have like the devil carved into your forehead or right. something, you weren't, you weren't legit. There was a know? couple of those, right? There was, there was, there was a Striper. There yeah. was a, what was the other, um, there was a couple of like, you know, kind of metal Christian groups at the time. I always yeah. thought they were posers too. Well, I had a friend who, uh, this guy, God bless him. His name's, uh, Ben Stewart. And he had this guitar class and, and Ben was very Christian. And I remember one time he, uh, he used to wear this t-shirt and it had like all the band names. So it was, it said mega life through prayer, but it was written in the mega death and slayer. Oh, yikes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I thought, oh gosh, that's that's pretty how to, cheesy. How but... to make friends and influence people? Yeah, yeah. 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 But Ben was like Ben. Uh, to this day, I think of him as just being like one of those. He's not Catholic. I don't know what flavor of Christianity mm -hmm. he is. He's definitely walks his walk. You know, he. Uh, I may not have liked his music at the time, but I thought, gosh, that guy really is believes what he really believes deeply in this in the Christian faith, or however you know whatever version of it he he uh, gravitated towards. I never really got that deep because frankly, I didn't think that deeply back then either, mm -hmm. you know, but he's a good guy, you know, and he, he listened to all those kind of bands and I was always trying to get him into like the devil stuff. <laughs> hey man, you want to hear Deicide? You know? Right. <laughs> and so you're, you're following, you're a groupie for Slayer yeah. during these years. Yeah. Big time. And I think that probably had a little bit to do with, you know, I hear it occasionally now it'll come on like my iPod or something and I'm like, oh, okay, these guys like they, the lyrics aren't really very deep, you know, they're not, uh, it's very surface level and they're more or less like, they're not devil worshipers, but they seem to be sort of just telling stories. But the problem with their music is that all, all they tell is bad stories about the bad things in life. But I guess like in that kind of music, could you imagine them writing a song about being happy? 
it's tough to do. <laughs> kind of like where the medium and the message don't mix too much. You know what I mean? Right. I just remember all the time, uh, that whole period of time, late 80s, early 90s, that the whole, um, uh, you know, anti kind of music scene and, you know, the, the labels on the albums, mm-hmm. the backward masking, the kind of playing the records backwards. Every acronym had like some hidden thing, right? right. So Antichrist, Devil's Children, ACDC, oh, right. and then... Uh, kids in Satan services, right? Kiss. Oh yeah. There was like all these things, and there was this whole undercurrent of like, this is what's really going on. Yeah. You, just like. Well, I know with ACDC and Kiss, those both of those are not true. And of then course, they're there's not. also yeah. right. And then uh, you know there was, I think honestly the uh, the well-meaning evangelicals of the time who were you know sort of raising red flags, and and then there was the. PMRC, the Parents Music Resource Center, they had the labels put on the music. All that did was make kids my age like want to check more. it out. Yeah. yeah. I'm like, oh yeah, look at the this is bad stuff. I remember the first time I, I so I was really into hip hop also, like early, early on. I had picked that up when we lived in uh Massachusetts for a couple of years. My dad went to Harvard. Okay. And uh the kid, this Greek kid that lived down the street, he was really into like Run DMC and that kind of stuff. And so we ended up moving back to California later. And I met some other kids, uh, Hispanic kids that lived on the, on my street and they were really into NWA. Sure. And so, uh, you know, I remember just hearing that kind of music and I was like, oh, wow, it's got all these curse words in it. You know, I can't really freak out my parents with anything except for maybe that might freak them out. But even that really didn't seem to phase them. <laughs> now, how did you, I mean, not a lot of people could reconcile the kind of thrash and heavy stuff with hip hop. Was that? I don't know. I guess I was like weird and different. Yeah. I remember I liked... like the first collaborate, like Aerosmith and Run DMC when they did that walk this way. Like yeah. that was like people's heads exploded, right? Yeah. Coming together, these different genres. I didn't, you know, funny story. Mm. Uh, so we would go and camp down in Baja in the summertime. So, you know, my, and uh, I remember sitting on the beach and I had a little, little boom box radio and I'm listening to that song, Walk This Way, the Run DMC version. I'd never even heard the Aerosmith version. And my dad comes walking by and he's singing the lyrics to it. And I was like, how the heck do you know this song? He's like, that's an old song. Wow. <laughs> that's like yeah. with, uh, that's like with uh, when Vanilla Ice hit it big on, with Under Pressure. And it was like, no, that song's been around for yeah. for a minute. Yeah. Well, yeah. That's really cool. Yeah. It was, but, uh, but no, I, I think uh, I didn't really get into the metal stuff until later. I, I had, uh, I was sitting in a class. And the, there was a, another guy sitting next to me, and we both had Sony Walkmans. Oh, yeah. And With the orange? Yeah. The orange thing? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And he said, what are you listening to? I said, NWA. What are you listening to? And he said, Slayer. So we traded Walkmans. Wow. And I listened to his stuff during, and then after that, I just started, I still listen to a lot of like probably music that most people aren't going to really like or even know about. Because um, I like underground. I like experience. I like, I like music that, pushes the boundaries mm-hmm. you know and i and at this age i'm sort of able to separate the art from the artist mm-hmm. and um and uh and try to it's hard to, to explain if i had to to get rid of my record collection because there was stuff in it that i didn't agree with um i would probably have maybe one or two <laughs> records left i right. can't get into like the praise and worship music i've tried mm. it's just too canned for me mm. it's too like samey mm. you know there's no I listen to it and I'm like, eh, this sounds like something that's been done a million times. It's the same chord progressions in every song. The lyrics are kind of the same. They don't really experiment with any new or weird noises. There might be something like that out there. I just haven't encountered it. Um, the stuff that I have encountered, I'm like, oh gosh, this is really sure. boring and plain. So I still listen to pretty secular music, but I'm very careful about not letting it affect how I think about the world. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, it's important. So you view it as art. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Look, I think, and one of the questions that I wanted to ask you was what the interrelatedness, if at all, or what you've learned about apologetics from music, if there is such a thing. But one of the things that I think about just from the get-go is if you've only got this super kind of narrow palette for music, mm -hmm. and I get that there's your preferences, like everybody has preferences, but if you kind of rule out of sight, you know, this kind of thing or whatever, then in a way you're kind of revealing a little bit of what your worldview is and, and where you may be correct about a lot of things you're not going to be able to really draw many people to your perspective. That's at least my yeah. thought. Like, is that somewhere, is that accurate? No, I agree with that hundred percent. I think that people, even within the church, I think about this a lot. When I first came into the faith, it's not like you, you say, yes, I'm going to become Catholic. And then instantly the Summa Theologica is downloaded into your brain and you're, right. you know, everything about the faith. It's a gift, and so, with, gift with purchase. You get, yeah. You get right. I mean, it's, 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 when I became Catholic, basically what I was saying was when I went to my confirmation, I'm saying, I accept the premise. I accept that Jesus is who he said he is, that he's God, that he founded a church on Peter and the apostles and that that church continues today in the Catholic Church. But I didn't know everything about the Catholic faith. In fact, there were a lot of things. It took a long time, you know. I was open to being corrected because I accepted the premise. And that openness, though, comes from somewhere. A lot of people don't, you know, accept the premise, but they're not open to something else, right? So Right, right. I think just the diversity that I grew up with as a kid sort of helped me to not just discount something yeah. just because I think I disagree with it. I'm like, okay, well, I, I think I disagree with this, but let me hear more. And you know my, because we've talked about this before, but one of the many beefs that I have about a variety of things is that we, from an American context, haven't done a really good job of engaging with the popular culture. Right? We haven't, we've done a good job of saying, hey, we're here, you're there and figure it out. Maybe someday you'll be with us. Like that part's clear and all of that. But like we haven't really engaged. And part of engaging is understanding what the heck is going on out there. Right. And if we're just kind of, you know, mean head in the sand sort of deal, again, even if you're right, the point of the Christian life is not just for you to get to heaven, but to help others get to heaven, namely your family and the people that God, you know, kind of says, hey, have these people's back. But on a broader sense, everybody, right? Mm -hmm. Like we're all supposed to be pointing each other there. And it's like, that's, I think there's a lot more that we could do. And music is part of it, mm -hmm. but other art is part of it. Like we've kind of seeded all of these things to, you know, to a popular culture and kind of stopped playing in them for some bizarre reason. And I, like, I, I struggle with that. I wonder about that. That's one of the reasons why I can't stand uh, praise and worship music. Maybe, yeah. It sounds like Christians trying to, uh, it's not just that. I don't like when I see like, you know, uh, the t-shirt the that says Catholic written in the Coke letters. <laughs> You know, or these like uh, basically the, every booth at the Religious Education Congress, right? Is what you just described got Mary. It's like, right. can we stop being? Can we stop like trying to piggyback off of popular culture and just be Catholic? Because mm -hmm. there's nothing wrong with that. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Let's be proud of our heritage. You know, this is ours. Yep. You know, and uh, and we should want to share it with other people and not have to sort of bend to the rest of the world. Uh, or, you know, these sort of popular things, these trends that go on. I feel like that's a mistake. Yeah. Um, and I think it's cheesy. I mean, got got anything at this point is... Yeah, exactly. That was old 20 years ago. It's kind of like uh, <laughs> I gave this example to, to to my business partner about, and I won't name obviously who, but one of, one of our clients that we're working with, and that their aspiration to be this kind of company is almost like a little kid putting on his dad's suit and nothing fits, but even if it did, it would all be out of style. 
that's kind of the idea of the yeah. gut Catholic, right? Yeah. It's like, even if somebody understands what you're trying to do, you've still just dated yourself and kind of, it's, it's a bizarre thing. Just yeah. be, be yourself and, and, yeah. you know, and be Catholic. And there's so much to give there. There's so much to oh talk about. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And there, there, I will say one of the things that, um, well, there's many things I appreciate about uh, Bishop Barron, mm-hmm. um, but Word on Fire in particular, one of the things that I really uh, like about them is that they've sort of raised the bar. When I got into um, this sort of professional Catholic or however you want to say it, when I got into this, it's been, I've been at Catholic Answers 13 years, going on 14 almost. And you've been a CEO, the COO for how long? Two years? Uh, four years. Four years. Almost okay. four. Okay. Yeah. Three and three and three and a half. Uh, when I got into this, when I, when I first got into it, I just remember like the bar was so low. I felt like every book, every Catholic book that was out there, it was it was religious art and Trajan font. You know, the, if you're a graphic designer or you have any, you know, you know the font I'm yeah, talking about, I right? Do. You look at these old Catholic books and it's like the same thing on every wow. cover. So there was, it was very, or it was just like really bad. It looked like, you know, just really bad graphic design. The, the presentation, the, the, uh, the presentation of the faith just looked amateur mm. and and lame and out and outdated and i and i feel like that you know the catholic faith is uh ancient but it's also uh always new and uh and always applicable to uh, whatever's going on in your life but you know if that's the veneer that you give it is that it's this dated kind of boring lame thing just in the presentation right we say well you know don't judge a book by its cover why do we say that because everybody judges the book by its, its cover, cover. so yeah. i think like uh you know bishop baron and some other uh catholic groups out there have done a really good job of um uh trying to give it a sort of a professional and and uh a new you know sort of a new veneer to it a new facade if you will even though they're teaching timeless truths for sure which is great. I think that's awesome. And there's, and there's a lot more, I think they really kind of raised the bar in that regard. And, and frankly, that's one of the reasons why I wanted to work at Catholic Answers in the first place, because as an outsider, I looked at the apostolate and I thought they've got really good content, but they saw themselves as apologists. They didn't really see themselves as a media, as a media company, a, a media company. Yeah. And so, um, uh, and I can't speak for everyone there. I'm like, Jimmy Aiken is pretty tech savvy. I think he had a, a, for sure. a good grasp on that stuff. And a great podcaster too. Yeah. His, his show is one of my very favorites. Yeah. The Mysterious he, world. Yeah. Really good. He's, he's very good. Mm-hmm. I, I love that guy. As, as far as I'm concerned, he's, he's probably the best Catholic apologist out there just mm-hmm. because he's got a really good style of the way he presents things. Um, and he's been there forever, you know. But uh, you know, he wasn't the he wasn't the primary uh, decision maker. He's always had a lot of influence there, but I think like you know, he was limited in, in what he could accomplish. It is what it is. But I, looking on the outside, I saw it as like, gosh, you know, if these guys could use some of the emerging media to uh, to evangelize, like you know, at the time Google was growing, but it was still like the place where people put like you know weird cat videos or. You right. know, and Facebook was brand new. Uh, all these things are are popping up. Social media is starting to become a thing. And I'm, so this would have been two thousand seven, eight, somewhere in that vicinity. Yeah, two thousand eight. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, two thousand seven when I started becoming interested in working for the Apostolate. Mm-hmm. I started the, like the very first day of two thousand eight. But uh, yeah, it, it, they just needed, I think, that kind of a, and it makes a difference. You know. Uh, how you how you see yourself it makes a huge yeah. difference yeah. how they recognize who they were and mm-hmm. I, and and I know also the work that's been done around kind of the voice of 
Catholic Answers as a brand rather than some place that has a whole bunch of stuff, but that it actually has a voice, a perspective, a set of you know values. There's like, you can kind of trust what it says. So there's all those things I know because I've been in this business for a long time, require strategy and work and yeah. consistency and all those different things. It's really hard right now because, um, you know, there's obviously a lot of tension in the church. I think just like the rest of the world. I was going to ask you about that. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of tension in just in the world in general right now, and people are, are becoming more and more polarized. And so I think there's a, an expectation out there of uh, people that follow us that we do the same. And um, we're, we've been pushing back on that as best we can. We, we can't please everybody. Um, but we're not, it's not like we're not trying to upset anybody, anybody. I mean, it's apologetics by its very nature. It invites controversy. And it's it's the gospel. I mean, you know what I mean? It's going to be, uh, a contradiction. Yeah. Yeah. And so some, some people get, you know, they get upset if we don't get on team, whatever, we're not on their, their team, or they think we're not on their team. How did that happen? How did, how did, did, was this all related to the, the 16 election and all of that? And we kind of, because the idea of having different folks along a spectrum of orthodoxy, let's call it, Mm -hmm. has always existed. Yeah. Right? And in a kind of contemporary way to think about it, there's people who are, you know, really all about Vatican I, and there's people who are really all about Vatican II, but they're both Catholics. It's just, it's like where you place the emphasis, right? Yeah. But but what, what seems to be happening now more is a bit of factioning around things that are kind of more transient, like politics or, you know process like things that seem lesser than the things that maybe we used to differ in within the church yeah I, that's my current read it's sort of inarticulate but w- what what set this thing off like where did this come from and is it only american i you know i can't i don't think it's only american but i think that it's i mean you know the the church in 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 the united states when it comes to uh, media seems to be like this is the place for it I don't see like, you know, a version of Catholic answers in other countries, English speaking or not. You don't really see people in other places doing what we're doing. And frankly, most of the media that I see, a lot of it is, uh, you know, originates here in the United States. And I think it's probably a reflection of just what's happening in our society here. And that, that is sort of taking hold maybe in other places. It's disturbing to me because I, I, you know, it's the same it's happening in the same way that uh, people always complain that the news, you know, they always, if it, if it bleeds, it leads, mm-hmm. you know? And I think there's a little bit of the same thing going on in the Catholic sphere, not unwarranted, right? I mean, the bishops have not exactly helped uh, the situation in a lot of cases with the, you know, the Philadelphia report, the priest uh, abuse scandal, these things that um, Catholics should be upset about, you know? I'm upset about it too, but I, I work in evangelization. I'm trying to bring people into the Catholic faith, right? If all I did was complain about uh, the church, I'm not going to achieve my goal that way. I don't want to pick on any Catholic personalities in particular, but if if what you talk about on a regular basis is all that's wrong in the church, that's really bad for your soul. And the way I look at it is I, I meet, I, I go all over the place. I meet Catholics from all different walks of life. And there are people out there doing some really amazing things. You know, there are, there are people out there, who, whether it's evangelization or, you know, feeding the poor or going to places that literally no one else will go. I think there are, I think that there's a lot to be upset about that's gone on in the, in the Catholic church, but there's also a lot to be very proud about. And those are the things that I try to 
focus on. It's not, I'm not ignoring that there are problems. Yeah. I recognize that. But I feel like in the, in the Catholic media sphere, we ought to be talking at least as much about the things that bring us joy as these things that, uh, that we're concerned about or make us angry. Cause I, th- I, yeah. I think you hit on something big though, with the, it bleeds, it leads kind of mentality, mm-hmm. because I think for those Catholic media personalities, whether they're clergy or not, who kind of fall into a one track thing, period, usually it's beating up on the hierarchy or doing something like that. Yeah. But then on the other end of the spectrum, it may be a singular topic over and over and over and over and over again, right? Mm-hmm. But I think in some way, shape, or form, you're kind of falling into the same kind of thing that we've seen happen to all media, which is, you know, kind of ruled by the algorithm, ruled by the share text, mm-hmm. and just kind of gamifying it to the point where you're just swirling down into an echo chamber because it can become a brand, right? So a lot yeah. of those guys, we're not going to name them, but I mean, a lot of the folks who are doing what you're saying in the first example the kind of like bashing on the on the hierarchy, mm-hmm. that's kind of their brand now. It, it, it's like they become known for that. And then when they look at their analytics, they're probably going, this works. Yeah. I, I mean, I got to imagine that's part of it. I can tell you just from my perspective, I know it works. Because when we did uh, we did an episode of Catholic Answers Focus with uh, Joe Heschmeyer, who mm-hmm. just started working full-time for Catholic Answers. And uh, he the episode that we did was, is Francis a bad pope? Mm. I don't, it was like two weeks and that thing was at 70,000 uh, views on, wow. uh, that was just on YouTube. I don't know what the collective uh, uh, analytics were for it, uh, but, but it spiked big time. Yeah. But when we do an episode on like, you know, trying to explain to people, you know, like for example, right. is the hell, council uh, of Ca- uh, council of Chalcedon, right. right. <laughs> or, or even just like a, a basic thing, like, you know, a, a typical argument that you will hear from atheists is, you know, oh, that, yeah. oh wh- why would God, you know, good, all loving God send someone to hell? You know, we do an episode on that and, you know, get a couple thousand views on it. So we're trying to put this content out there that's on these kinds of things, but we're looking at it too. It's like, people just want to see like the juicy, angry stuff. And it's like, well, that's not why, I don't know. Is that what Jesus was asking of us? Mm. Um, you know, it's, I, I have the, the Catholic faith brings me peace, but if I immersed myself in all that's wrong with the church, I could easily begin to think that there's nothing good in the church because I'm just, I've immersed myself in all this, you know, sort of bad news and uh, I can't, I can't let myself do that. Even, even when it comes to like following other, um, you know, uh, influencers, Catholic influencers on, uh, on social, there's a couple of them that I had to just kind of like, I got to turn you off for a little while. I got I got to snooze our relationship. I don't unfriend them. I have never unfriended anybody on uh, Facebook, except one guy who, you know, he just, all he ever wanted to do was argue. But you snoozed it. I snoozed it. I yeah. snoozed a couple people just because, you know, and I'll, and I'll, and they'll, you know, I'll do like the 30 day thing and then they'll come back up and, you know, sometimes they, sometimes they change a little bit or it's not quite as bad, but I just see these, you know, people out there who they talk about, um, and you know, I, like I said, I understand why they're angry. Um, but I also think that we're not going to be able to bring more people into the Catholic faith if that's all we talk about. There's a famous Bishop Sheen quote, which I know you know about, like there's, you know, 100 million people or whatever the number is that hate the Catholic Church or yeah. then only a thousand or whatever that, that, or however it works. But basically most people are mistaken about what they believe they hate about the Catholic Church as the general sentiment. Yeah. And St. Ambrose also, certainly much earlier than Bishop Sheen, 
has a similar quote, which is every misunderstanding or opposition or objection that you have about the Catholic faith has an answer. And that is true. They all definitely do. Yeah. Um, You know, but, but nevertheless, like that idea of how you program to that, right? How you, how you create content for that, how Mm -hmm. you engage with that, you know, kind of reality to show people these things. Like in this world, you're going to get more views and more, you know, uh, action, if you will, by doing things that end in a question mark, by doing things that maybe propose or suggest something, even if that's not what you're doing, right? even if that's not what the show's about, right? Mm-hmm. That's one of the reasons I really love this medium, this podcast medium, was because getting a download for an episode is so dramatically different than a viewer and impression. It's just literally night and day. It's the difference between like driving by someone's house and having dinner with them. Yeah. That's literally the difference yeah. between these two things. Uh, now, obviously the numbers are different, but, um, but it kind of like short circuits a little bit that like response of, hey, I want to now, I want to now program things in this particular way because mm-hmm. I know that it gets a more you know, more engagement Yeah, because I do see that happening in the kind of Catholic world. I do think that's part of it at least. Yeah. I'll be honest with you. Sometimes I, I think, uh, you know, the, the bishops, there are, there are a lot of good bishops and then there are some bishops that confuse me. Um, there, there are bishops that maybe they don't really care for Catholic answers for whatever reason. I've never, I've never quite understood that because I, I feel like we just want to help get people into the churches which you would think would benefit. Maybe they just don't like the way we do it. I don't know. And that's fine, I guess, you know, they're, uh, but I wish they would come to Catholic Answers and at least visit us and see what we're about. Cause I, I tell uh, Chris, check this all the time. I'm like, for the, for the bishops out there who maybe are not really that excited about what we do or the way we do it. Um, they may have different reasons. It may be something old or, you know, maybe we at one time or another, we, um, uh, uh, we might have done something that they didn't. Or it like. could have been a guest, for all you know. Right, Who knows? could have been a guest, whatever. But I feel like if uh, if if they came there and they saw, like, uh, you know, I've been I've visited a lot of other Catholic apostolates, and you know, this isn't a shameless pl- plug. I mean this. Uh, we've spent a lot of time on culture, and uh, and and working on the the culture of the apostolate, and I think that um, we have done a pretty good job of making it a joyous place to work. You know. It's hard. Don't get me wrong. I don't let people skate. You know, I have to. I still have to make sure everything gets done. But um, you know, we we try to do things for the employees that um, you know, and encourage them to take chances and things like that. But it can be a little discouraging when you know you've got other Catholic uh, uh, media outlets that are calling us modernist or you know just because we're not expressing our discontent. And part of the reason for that is that you know. It reminds me of um, in 70 AD when the the Roman army had surrounded the uh, Jerusalem, mm-hmm. and the the Jews there had done a pretty good job of holding them off. But and they probably could have hauled them off for a lot longer because you can imagine the Romans had to send troops from far away to this place to sack this city. But the Jews were all right there. I mean, this was their home, and I think they they. I can't say for sure, but it seems like they probably could have done a really good job of holding them off, at least for a lot longer than they did, if there was not so much infighting within the city walls. Amen. They started fighting each other inside the city, and then it just all toppled after that. Mm. And the whole city was sacked, and there you go. And the temple fell. Exactly. And I feel like while we are arguing with each other so much about, and and you know, these things are, they're important things, but we have to recognize that uh, we all have a common... Uh, 
I hate to say enemy. I don't like speaking in those terms, but I mean, you know, it, it kind of is true. If secularism is the enemy, then the mm -hmm. enemy is fast approaching and they're eating our lunch. Oh yeah. At the you gates know. and well beyond, yeah. I would say. Yeah. I think it's amazing though that it kind of illustrates the point that I think that, that you're making or one of them, that you may have people going, oh, you guys are modernist and this and that and, you know, all this because you're not taking sides or picking sides. And then you have a number, I'm sure that the vast number of the, of, of the bishops, and I'm sure that's not a big number, but whatever number of bishops don't approve of what you're doing are not doing it for that reason, probably for the exact opposite. Like, wait, you guys are all about the catechism and hitting everybody with the over the head with it. Yeah. And that's the reality is that um, what that says to me, if, if anything, that's actually evidence of how well you guys are, are communicating the faith because the faith is a contradiction, right? The faith is, we don't look left, we don't look right, we look up, right? right. That, is the, that is the faith. Amen. Um, and so in certain cases, if you're not, you know, if you're not taking a particular point of view, because it may be, uh, again, more aligned with a political party who maybe has more in common with the faith at this moment in time in America right now, mm -hmm. then you get labeled something else. And if you say, hey, you know what? The catechism says that this is actually what we've always believed, then you get hammered another way. In a way, it's just kind of evidence for me that you guys are doing a good job. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's the way that I look at it anyway. Yeah. It's funny too. Like sometimes I'll be honest with you, I'm tempted sometimes to go down that, uh, you know, that kind of angry Catholic route, you know, be it, you know, talk about the things that upset me in the church or yeah, whatever. Yeah, it be but, a big temptation. Uh, yeah. But uh, luckily I've got Chris Check, my boss, who uh, he trips me out, man, because he, he's, he's a pretty tratty guy. Mm -hmm. You know, he loves the Latin mass. He's, you know, you, you talk to him, he's got his opinions on things too, just like everybody else. But he's like the voice of, you know, he's a very tempered, you know, he, he's the one who's kind of like him and Jimmy both. Uh, they're very much like, you know, we need to make sure to, to not, not necessarily stay in the middle for just staying in the middle's sake. You know what I mean? But like, we have to focus on what it is that we're doing. And that's evangelizing for the Catholic faith. And it doesn't do us any good to, you know, we may get more clicks and lots of likes and all that other stuff and, and, and probably be doing a lot better financially if we picked a side, so to speak. Um, I mean, yeah, our it's side is- be short-lived though. It would be short-lived if you did. I'm telling you. Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't. And, and my hope, you know, I'm not afraid to say this to people, is that the work that I'm doing now, my hope is that Catholic Answers is something that survives, you know, well after I'm dead and gone. You know, I remember the first day I met you and you were telling me, it's like, hey, man, I was like uh, selling oil filters at K&N like five mm -hmm. minutes ago. And now I'm at this doing marketing for this apostolate. You almost kind of found yourself in this out of body experience. Those are the kind of moments where you're like, this is of God, because there's no other way I would have ended up here. Now you're basically yeah. running day to day there. Yeah. Um, which has got to be trippy for you to think about no? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's really weird. It, it, well, and especially when I think about where I was, you know, 20 years ago and where I am now. I mean, not even 20 years, 20 years ago, I was, you know, an atheist. And here I am running this company that evangelizes for the Catholic faith. And, and has helped convert millions. I mean, literally millions. Yeah. Uh, probably the biggest. Myself included. I mean, that's why me I Me too. I'm yeah. right here. I'm sitting here part, in large part because of you guys. And that's another one of those God's ironies that I'm like... I'm sitting there scouring the Catholic Answers forums, and then years later, I'm on the board. Like, that's another yeah. one of those God comedies. Yeah, right. God is hilarious. <laughs> he is in my life. <laughs> I can't wait to uh, meet him face to face, because I got a lot of questions. But uh, I bet you do. Yeah, but it's been... Uh, no, I I, uh, I love it. I love the Catholic faith. It brings me a, an immense amount of joy. Um, I'm happy to do the work, even though it comes with, you know, you get up in the morning, and you go to work, and you get the 
the emails from outside and yeah. you know it's it's there's there's positive but there's a lot of negative and the negative is usually like this really kind of biting vicious um you know these vicious kinds of things i remember when i started the catholic answers youtube channel the very first message that i got through youtube was it just said catholicism is bogus <laughs> That was, was your first comment? It was my first Catholic. comment. And so I responded to this gentleman and I said, uh, I said, thank you for um, your input, sir. God bless you. And then he responded again. He says, Catholicism is more bogus than a $2 bill. And I responded, I couldn't help myself. I probably would do it differently now. But I said, uh, sir, the, a $2 bill is actually a valid form of United States currency. That's right. You probably make a $3 <laughs> bill. But yeah, I love just when the people make the mistake as they walk in. How has, I mean, how has apologetics though, changed in your mind. And the the reason I, I asked this question is because I look at, because I agree with you, I hope Catholic Answers survives, outlives both of us for many, many, many years beyond that. But the frame of how that started was this kind of Protestant v. Catholic thing. It was mm -hmm. like, we've got, we're living, we're in a Protestant country and Catholicism is the minority and people have perspective. And so we're going to answer largely based on that, right? Worship Mary and statues and all that. Mm -hmm. Then at some point, probably early knots and, you know, post 9-11, I know Trent Horn has a theory on 9-11 driving a big part of this in terms mm -hmm. of what happened to the culture, but the new atheism movement, and then it seemed to be like atheism slash secularism versus religiosity in general. Are we in another frame right now? Is it the same frame? Like, how has that part changed? Because the answers are always the same, but the way you deliver them may be different. Well, when I started at Catholic Answers, that's pretty much all they were doing was um, most, um, well, mostly, I'd say the vast majority of what they were doing was responding to Christian fundamentalism. And Christian fundamentalism is pretty adversarial and and, and kind of nasty. You know, you read Jack Chick comics or whatever, those are, those are like not very Christian. Um, even if you, even if you believed that stuff, it's pretty nasty. Mm -hmm. One of the things that has changed in a Catholic in Catholic apologetics in general, and uh, as far as Catholic answers goes, is the the tone in which we, uh, you know, there's there there might have been like you know something to claims that like early Catholic answer stuff could be a little bit uh, adversarial or uh, maybe triumphalistic, but I'll be honest with you, I have a I have a thought on that too. When my wife gave me a copy of, and when I was still you know kind of looking into the Catholic faith, my wife gave me a copy of Catholicism and Fundamentalism by Carl Keating, who founded Catholic Answers. And uh, there's a criticism of that book that, oh, he's too harsh in it and this and that. And But for me, when I read that book, I had only up to that point encountered these sort of like, you know, I call them like kumbaya Catholics. That mm -hmm. was like my CCD, you know, mm -hmm. they're like, oh, you know, making popsicle sticks popsicle and stick drawing, drawing pictures of, uh, of uh, uh, St. Peter and making felt banners and all this other kind of stuff and not particularly deep and sort of like caving into the world. But then I encountered this guy, Carl Keating, and he's got this book, and I was like, man, this is a Catholic with some stones. You know what I'm saying? Like, he was... For sure. I, I read was it, like, too. I was like, mm -hmm. wow, he's... Uh, uh, it was refreshingly brutal, if that's even a possibility. But I read it, and it... I mean, I can see how some people would say, oh, yeah, that might be a sort of a... a, a maybe too harsh or whatever. But I read it, and that was what I needed at the time. And so I think there are... Uh, people respond to different things differently. Like, you know, I know Bishop Barron... For example, I didn't bring him up again, but he's pretty popular. Their big emphasis at Word on Fire is sort of like a truth and beauty, beauty and those kinds yeah. of things. And mm -hmm. 
and I and I think that there's a lot there's something to be said for that. But uh, you know, when when I encountered like you know these beautiful churches and all that stuff, like I was telling you earlier, they just look like big museums to me. It wasn't it, it wasn't something that it it's was on a live. Yeah, right. It was Carl Keating. It was apologetics, and so and sort of this unapologetic, if you will, uh, delivery of of Catholic truth. And that's what I needed at the time. I needed to hear something like that. I needed to I needed to be. I needed to encounter sort of this a confident, really confident, bold expression of the faith, and I think that uh, that's why Catholic answers appeal to me. Now, I also think that that might have something to do with why some bishops don't like us, as a, a sort of a, a reputation for that, just because apologetics is like some people do use apologetics wrong. Even I did at first when I really got into it in the beginning. I will admit to being like pretty triumphalistic, even just in my own thinking and the way that I interacted with people. And all that did was like make people mad, push them into a corner. Sure. You never evangelize that way. You got to be, you know, and and there's biblical wisdom on this too, you know. 100%. I've been guilty of it myself. And, And, you know, and it also makes you look back at criticisms that you may have received either individually or, you know, as part of an organization that had a big grain of truth in it, you know, potentially, certainly for me personally, it has like, you know, in those cases where you're right about the thing, Mm -hmm. it doesn't really matter if you're not drawing somebody closer, right? If you're just doing it to win an argument, right? The old quote about we're not winning arguments, we're winning souls, right? Right. But uh, for sure, absolutely. It's easy. And it's easy to fall into when you've got the goods, you know, you've got the goods. It's like, hey, there's actually a really good answer to this. But if you deliver that in a way that's obnoxious or in a way that doesn't consider the person, it's like, yeah. Doesn't matter how much truth you're speaking. They you've already you've backed them into a corner and they don't have they're not going to hear another word you say. Yeah. And I, I think that's universal just with human beings in general. I feel that way when somebody backs me into a corner. I don't like being being in that position even as open-minded as I try to be uh to other people's points of views still if somebody is really adversarial and sort of in your face, I don't respond well yeah. to that. And so I think maybe and this is, I'm not saying this to like denigrate any of the people who've worked at Catholic Answers in the past, or even, you know, people like Jimmy Aiken is one of the most charitable guys I know, but he might even tell you that he looks, he might look at some of his old stuff and say, yeah, I, I, I might've worded that differently. I've heard you him know? say it. I've heard him say, I've heard him say use the word snarky about himself in, yeah. in, 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 in certain contexts. I'm sure that was, he's been there for 20 something years. So I'm sure. Yeah. And he's like the, probably like the rest of us. He's Mm -hmm. uh, you know, he, he, uh, you know, he was younger. He was obviously young. He was very young man when he started doing that. He's been doing it for what, 20 something years now. Mm -hmm. Like he just had an anniversary, Mm -hmm. maybe 25 years or something. Yeah. It was late nineties for sure. I only know that because I I was, uh, I won in one of the early Catholic answers gala. I won an iPod with like 10 years worth of Catholic answers on the iPod. This was like, this was before you guys were doing much on social. So it was a big Mm -hmm. deal. Yeah. I think this was around 2009, maybe it would have been. Yeah. And I remember going back and the Ed shows from the late nineties on there with Jimmy doing like canon law and stuff. It was crazy. It was like, he was doing everything. Yeah. And he sounded as sharp then as he does now, which is really amazing to think about like the amount of, and, uh, but anyway, he, it was a different, you're a different person. You know what I mean? You're responding to things differently. And, and, uh, so that's definitely evident. I think for me, um, the, the idea of that frame for apologetics it's interesting to think about because I do think there's something, and I don't know how to define this, but it's like you went from Protestant Catholic then to kind of atheist deist sort of dynamic. And then now with like all of this, um, I mean, there's some element of this kind of you're okay, I'm okay, we're all, everybody's fine kind mm-hmm. of vibe. 
but then but it's also wrapped in this um very socially politically active wanting to make a difference kind of community stuff right mm -hmm. it's almost like nobody's saying catholics worship mary nobody's saying god or not as much young people aren't saying you know god versus not god but it seems to be like i want to do something good in the world and i view people who are religious or the church in general as opposed to my ability to do good in the world in the yeah. way that i see it which is crazy to me it's if it, it is crazy it's crazy it to is me. crazy uh you know when when some when some crazy thing happens in the world like in some faraway place a natural disaster or whatever you know you've got like it's these it's these catholic aid workers that show up first 100 percent and I think that that perception that Catholics aren't trying to do good in the world, well, you know, it may not comport with what, you know, with your sensibilities, but um, the idea that it's trying to interfere, I mean, that it could be that the thing that you think is good is actually not that good. Well, that's what it is. And from a Catholic perspective, almost nine times out of 10. Right. But which is why I find that area, that layer of interaction around this kind of social political thing so interesting for us to play in as yeah. a church. Because that's where a lot of the kind of like, oh, the church is opposed to this thing I'm trying to do. I'm trying to do good. Now we can talk about how, what do you define good as? How do you define love? All these different things. Right. But it, to, to our earlier point, it's like, yeah, how's that going to work at that moment? At that moment, probably not so hot, right? Mm -hmm. So I just think that that's a really interesting, I don't know, frame of reference or just kind of like it's fertile ground for a lot of new apologetics, creative apologetics, to yeah. use Pope Francis's words. Yep. And of course, you can't divorce social media from that dynamic because I think they're a big part of it. But I do feel the sense that like young people in particular saying, oh, I can't be Catholic because the, the church opposes my ability to do this good thing that I want to do in the world. It's right. kind of like my version of what they may be thinking. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Well, no, I, I agree with that. Uh, you know, I mean, we have, we started doing a, a while ago more apologetics. We, we started shifting away from just, you know, basically responding to fundamentalist arguments against the faith. Uh, those aren't as prevalent. They're still there. I mean, we still get questions about that stuff and we still answer yeah. them, but we've done a lot more um, to speak to religiously indifferent uh, you know, what a lot of people call nuns. I can't stand that term, by the way. If you have to back up and spell it to and that was gonna make say it everybody clear. it has to you have to qualify it immediately afterwards. We have to come up with a different branding on that one for yeah, sure. Yeah, it's the nuns, N-O-N-E-S. Not so like, N-U-N, because I know we're talking about God. And right. Right. Yeah. It's kind of like the just the word apologetics. So like, what are you apologizing for? I'm like, I'm of two minds on that. One part of me says, well, People don't understand the term apologetics. Maybe we ought to just go on like a media blitz to own Educate that them. word. Uh, or the, and, but then the other part of me says, well, maybe we should just maybe not use that word since a lot of people don't understand what and it means. And rebrand. Mm -hmm. My business partner actually hit me with that recently. He's a secular progressive agnostic. Mm -hmm. Okay. And we're, we had a, an engagement with a, a religious client, basically our first. And I was trying to explain to him this idea of apologetics. Mm -hmm. And he's like, that's a terrible name. It's a terrible brand. I'm like, you know, I, I realize that, but it actually is a real thing. It's a concept Here's the Greek. It's original. He's like, yeah, it's just a terrible brand. Yeah. And you know what? And I was like, I'm going to need six months to explain to him the you know 2000 year tradition of apology, like all this other stuff. But it kind of was meaningless, right? Because at the end of the day, he's probably, he, he's kind of right in the sense of like, yeah, but that's not the best way to communicate yeah. what it is you're trying to do right now. Yeah. And so it's a really weird place to be. It's it's fine. I, I think it's fine. So, you know, we have the School of Apologetics with mm -hmm. Catholic Answers. And mm -hmm. I think that those courses, the online courses for the school are intended for people who kind of already have, at least at a basic level, they understand that apologetics is, you know, defending a position. Mm -hmm. An apologist defends in a position. In this case, it's 
Catholicism. And uh, so we don't have a problem calling it that because we're, we're under, you know, we understand that the, the crowd or the, the, the demographic for that is probably going to understand what that word means already. It's just everything else that we do, which we actually consciously try not to use that word too much because a lot of people don't understand what it means, yeah. even though that's basically the essence of what we do. We can't even call it that. It's too technical. The and very it, thing that we specialize in, we can't even use the word because the word is, you know, so far out of the popular imagination that, uh, you know, we have to just say, oh, no, we're, we, uh, it's evangelization, even though evangelization and apologetics are actually pretty different things. Um, you know, there's a lot of obviously crossover between the two, but they're not the same thing. But, but, I, but I think it helps people hear both of those in the same sentence sometimes, you know, evangelism and apologetics. One seems like you're sort of, it's an inbound mm -hmm. and I'm explaining the inbound. The other one is an outbound, like I'm trying to draw people in. So I think it's a nice mix that people can generally sort of get their head around. Oh yeah, for sure. And it's good to like, you know, for any one of us that are into apologetics, it's probably good to recognize the difference between the two. Apologetics to me is like, it's that thing you keep in your back, like break glass in case of emergency. Yeah. You know, you've got it in your back pocket. You use it when you're, because St. Peter says, you know, first Peter three fifteen, always be prepared if somebody calls on you to make a defense for the faith. I'm probably totally butchering that no, it's line, a, yeah, it's close. Yep. And, uh, but the, the point is make a defense for the faith when somebody calls you to do it. Otherwise, evangelization in my mind anyway, is I'm trying the best I can to live this good Christian life. I'd be lying if I said I was perfect at it. And anybody mm -hmm. that does, you know, even if that's the facade that they give off, I'll tell you right now, being Catholic is really hard, as you know. Yeah. And uh, I, I'd say probably I'm not really very good at it. But, you know, like I'm working at it. At least I'm trying, you know. I think that evangelization is first and foremost trying to be a good uh, a Christian and and letting the other people see that. Like it brings joy to my life. It's it's uh, uh, it's great for me. It's good for my family. But uh, and then apologetics, you know, if you start with apologetics, I don't think it's yeah. going to end well. That's, right. when, that's exactly. when you back people into a corner. Yeah. But if they legitimately ask you, hey, why do Catholics believe this? You know, and then you give, and then you give the answer. It's a tough initial salvo, right? In the conversation, it's kind of like why the Catholic T-shirt doesn't work as well as maybe some people think, right? It's like we haven't even talked, and you're already, you know what I mean? It's like we're not even at that point yet. Yeah, yeah, I definitely agree with that. And so, look, it's about, I think it's about being pastoral. I mean, I really do. It's about like, hey, s analyzing the situation and bringing out the best kind of tools for. For what the situation calls for, yeah. I know we got to we got to wrap and get you on your way with uh, with uh, with your uh, bride uh, to visit the rest of Los Angeles, whatever it is you're going to do. So yeah. I'm gonna um, I'm gonna kind of bring our episode to a close here. But I obviously would love to have you know part two, three, and four yeah. when we get a chance. I did have one final thing before we get to the Blitzkrieg um, section of the podcast and our rapid fire questions was the relevance of apologetics for somebody right now who is in a leadership position, right? In mm. whatever, like, how would you answer that? How does, how do I, how does this become real for me? Yes, it's my own personal faith and answers questions for me, but how could it be valuable for somebody in a leadership context to think about apologetics and evangelization? How does it benefit them or help them? Well, I think that just knowing and understanding the faith well enough to be able to um, defend yourself. We have this it, it's a marketing line on one of our websites, and it says, a faith you can defend is a faith you can own and embrace. Mm. That's the line that we use. It's, it's, I, I believe that's on the School of Apologetics website. Actually, it came from uh, a meeting that we had, and Todd Aguilar, our uh, 
director of publishing, he said basically that. And I was like, oh, wow, that's good. I wrote it down on my phone immediately after he said it. Nice. And I ended up using it on the website. But I, I, the reason it struck me was because it's so true. It's like, yeah, that's true. If, you, um, if you're serious about your Catholicism, you know, serious enough that you're going to apply the principles in a leadership position, then you ought to know it pretty well. And I think learning apologetics and understanding the how and why of, of why we believe what we believe, why do we do this? Why is it important? Those are all things that you need to know because eventually somebody's going to ask you a question about it. Oh yeah, this guy's obviously Catholic. The things that he, the Catholic faith is, is very instrumental in how he how he conducts himself in business and how he treats other people, those things are all important. And eventually somebody's going to ask you about it. They may ask you about the culture. They may, they may, you know, at your, at your work, if they're an outsider, if they're an insider, they may, you know, see that you, you're, you're this joyous person and they may ask questions and then knowing, having the answer, or at least knowing where to look for the answer and then get back to them. I think that's important too. Too many people try to give an answer when they're not really sure. It's better to just say, yeah, I don't, I'm not sure. I think that's an important way that apologetics can be used in the workplace. When I was uh, directing a, a department at uh, an old job that I had, I don't want to really say the place, but they had a Halloween contest and somebody came dressed as a pregnant nun. It was a man came to work dressed as a pregnant nun and they, they paraded this guy around and he even won the Halloween costume contest at work. And I was offended by it, but I went to my supervisor at the time and I said, Hey, you know, I try to be uh, open and whatnot, but at a certain point, something just becomes offensive. And I'm just letting you know that was pretty offensive. And it was, it, it kind of, it was added to it by parading this person around. And they took me seriously, but that's because I was never like, you know, I wasn't, I, I wasn't like kind of jerky about the faith or anything like that. Everybody there knew I was Catholic. Uh, and they, they took me seriously because they knew I wasn't like some just crazy, you know, right. fanatic that mm -hmm. flies off the handle at, at everything. So having the confidence that you know your stuff, even if you're not consciously doing it, I think that it has an effect on how you carry yourself. Yeah. You're, not, you're not afraid to engage uh, because you know, you know the answers or you at least know where to look, like I said. And, it, and it's, it's no different than any other discipline, right? You want to learn about marketing or engineering or whatever product design, like you're going to study it and know what the ins and outs are and then kind of adapt it to your own situation. And how much more important is this when we're talking about eternity? Amen. You know, people spend all their time like learning about their job or this and that. But, you know, if you're a Catholic and, uh, you know, this is this should be the most important thing to you. Uh, if you truly believe it's worth it to to learn apologetics, to learn evangelization, study the catechism, study the Bible, know these things well, because if you truly believe it and we are talking about eternity here and it's real, uh, that's more important than anything else. Amen. Yeah. Awesome. How can people follow what you're up to? And, and I mean, obviously Catholic.com, Catholic Answers, but you specifically, John, and what do you want people to know? Because I know you got music, you got albums, you got all kinds of stuff going on. Like, What, what would you say? Well, um, I play uh, guitar in a band with a friend of mine, uh, and that, that band is called Fugate. You can find the, it's F-U-G-A-T-E. You can find that on... Um, Spotify, iTunes, all those places. I just it, dig that it's Fugate because it could also be like Fugate in Latin or something. You yeah. Know what I mean, you don't know what yeah. it is. It, actually, the story for it, uh, we wrote a song called Appalachian Blue, mm -hmm. and the song is sort of like a thinly, it's not even really that thinly veiled, but it's a, it's a critique on racism of looking at somebody different because of the 
color of their skin. Mm. To show how ridiculous that is, I use there. There's this. There's a, a supposedly a family that lives in the Appalachian Mountains, and Fugate is the surname. F- Fugate is how it's pronounced, actually. And they uh, they supposedly had blue skin. Mm. like a blue tint to their skin. And so mm-hmm. the song was about how like, you know, one of their kin leaves home and moves to the city and he's mistreated because he's a blue he's guy. Blue. Yeah. And so we ended up just naming the band after that. It was supposed to only be like a bucket list thing. My buddy and I wanted to record an, a, a, a whole album of original music. And, um, uh, but we ended up doing a lot more than that. And so you can find all that stuff. And then I have um, a, a project, a music project that I did uh, by myself that'll be out in at the end of this month or when i don't know when this airs but uh the end of january so uh or july the end of july july yeah this this will be this will be out this week this episode oh it'll be out this week mm-hmm. yeah so july at the end at the end of this month yeah it'll be uh that'll be available um, i'm a little nervous about that one because it's way different than the fugate stuff is pretty loud so mm-hmm. if you're not into like really loud music then you're probably not going to like it this one's a lot more mellow than that um just because it's i did it during covid and you know i live in an apartment so it's not like you, you can know, be I crazy could, loud it, yeah. right so i did something kind of mellow nice um yeah so that's good and, and that you know i used to have um i used to have uh, my own website but I, I i decided you know what i can reach a lot more people if i just write for catholic.com mm-hmm. i haven't done that as much in the last couple of years just because my position i'm not able to, uh, you know, do that kind of stuff as much, but, uh, people can reach out to you on LinkedIn too, right? LinkedIn, Facebook, I'm in all those places. You can, you can find me on pretty much every social media platform. I, I'm not a, I'm not as active on any of the platforms as I used to be. Like I said, I'm just so busy now, Mm -hmm. but I have to keep up on it just because of my job. It's a media company. So I have to kind of know what's going on. And we'll have the links to the show notes for Fugate and for, um, your up and coming, album and all that stuff so people can check it out and follow it yeah i need to listen to more of it myself but um anyway. I, hope it do- I hope it doesn't horrify you bro <laughs> it's not going to <laughs> all right are you ready for our uh, lightning round Absolutely. our wait what segment here we go all right question number one metallica or megadeth whose lyrics if you had to pick would be the nearest to orthodox catholicism metallica okay yeah want to expand on that or no uh I think that Megadeth's early albums sort of, you know, Dave Mustaine is a Christian guy now, right? Um, he's a born again Christian of some stripe. And so there might be, I don't follow their newer stuff as much. There might be some elements of that in his music, but you listen to the earlier stuff and it's not like that at all. Yeah, he, for sure. You know, and uh, Metallica, with the exception of their first album, they were still really into like, you know, we wear leather pants and heavy metal is the best thing that ever happened. That That's sort of the, but after that, they started doing like sort of more socially conscious uh, lyrics, not sort of punch you in the face or whatever, but, um, you know, they have anti-war songs. Master of Puppets is, you know, don't don't abuse drugs, mm-hmm. those those kinds of things. But I never really sat down and analyzed either of the bands, so I'm it just guessing here. Works for me. I would I'd pick the same thing, <laughs> although I wouldn't have any anywhere near the rationale that you just put together. <laughs> but I agree with you, Metallica over Megadeth on that one. I mean, with the I mean, I know it was their kind of breakout hit, but Symphony of Destruction was cool in the sense that it combined genres of music and different mm-hmm. things like that, and that was cool. But beyond that, like I don't even put them in the same category, generally speaking. Yeah. All right. Awesome. Question number two: Saints Peter, James, and John form a 70s style prog rock band in the spirit of yes king crimson or rush which one of them is the bassist saint peter's saint peter saint james and saint john form a 70s style prog rock band 
in the spirit of yes, King Crimson, or Rush, which one of them is the bassist? I feel like, I, I almost feel like St. Peter would be the bassist. Okay, go ahead. I, I, I feel like, so I don't play bass. I mean, I dabble in it, but uh, I, I play guitar. And uh, But I feel like bass is actually one of the most important elements of any rock band, progressive or otherwise. It's one of those things that, you know, maybe the average person that it's not super, you know, educated about music would might not notice, you know, in a song, but you pull a bass guitar out of it and you definitely notice, like it just falls flat a lot of times. And so there's like this kind of backbone to the to music, mm-hmm. the rhythm section and the bass, the, the bass guitar is sort of like that, that sort of background character that's directing the the interest level of the song and so i'd, I'd have to give that to saint peter it's just a super important it's got to be there 100 i would totally agree with you on that one too and i was very intentional about the 70s style prog rock band right because you got to think about chris squire you got to think about getty lee mm-hmm. you got to think about what they mean as bassist, right so it's not just like the background sort of in the in the background but yeah awesome i agree i concur with that one not that i have to because these are your answers all right <laughs> last question in wait what So, John, it's decision time. Time travel exists. You have one event that took place in the decade of the 1980s, which you have a chance to stop, reverse, encourage, or otherwise change. Which event do you choose? Oh, my gosh. In the 1980s? The whole decade. And go back, and you can stop, reverse, encourage, or otherwise change one event in the entire decade of the 1980s. What is it? I didn't like the Cold War in the 80s. Okay, pretty big one. Yeah. I thought you were going to say, like, uh, you know, uh, what's his name? Uh, 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 the guy who mimicked uh, Michael Jackson not doing that to commercial. What was his name? Ribeiro? Oh, Alfonso uh, Ribeiro. Alfonso Ribeiro, yeah. Yeah, I posted... You could go big or small on these, so I don't know. Yeah, well, Alfonso Ribeiro did have a great breakdance kit. I don't know if you remember that. It came with a record and a piece of cardboard that you could lay out and do all the breakdance moves on I didn't on have it. it, although I, I definitely knew him. I didn't have yeah. it either, but it was kind of like Bill Cosby's picture pages, you know? They had the the little commercial for that on there and you had to have like a special pen and a special coloring book and i was like mom i don't have that my mom's (laughs) like it's like a hundred bucks no way um but but uh i just remember like the cold war was a big deal all through the 80s if there was something that i could have done back then to maybe make that you know to to help with that situation i feel like that would have been a that was the big thing back then you know, there's people that wrote songs about it. Remember the Wind of Change or whatever, sure. the Scorpion song? Sure. They played that at my high school graduation. Oh, really? That was, yeah. your, that was your graduation song? Yeah. Mine was Simple Minds, even though it was older than... I graduated in 91. I think we graduated the same year then, mm-hmm. right? Yep. So it was Simple Minds, uh, um, Don't You Forget About Me, was like three or four or five years old at the time, but yeah. they still picked it anyway. Huh. It's a better song. I mean, it's when, a great song. It's a classic, seminal, but yeah. yours yeah, yours is a good one too. I, I appreciate the sentiment behind it. I don't know how into the song I am, but... You know. Yeah, I'm with you. All right, well, that's a big one, right? The Cold War. Awesome. So, and on that one, I probably would agree with you as well, although you can find some other things uh, like Alfonso Ribeiro that maybe you want to stop or reverse. Or stop him from putting... <laughs> Putting out his breakdance kit. Something, or at least the Pepsi commercial with Michael Jackson, keep that hair from catching on fire. Something, oh, yeah. something smaller <laughs> than that. But um, anyway, John, brother, great to have you on the show. Thank you very much for making the drive. Uh, Spending a couple minutes. Uh, we'll have to do it again for sure. But I just want God to continue to bless you on the work that you're doing and the company that you're leading. And it's just amazing to watch and uh, just a real privilege to have you here. It was a privilege to be here. So I appreciate it. 
If you enjoyed this episode of Living the Call, please remember to subscribe and give us a five-star review. Tell someone you love about the show and spread the word. Living the Call is available on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and anywhere else you listen to podcasts. You can learn more about the organization behind the show by searching for the Catholic Association of Latino Leaders on any social platform or by going directly to call-usa.org. That's C-A-L-L-U-S-A.org. Living the Call is produced by Manu Kasten and Diego Carranza and our friends at Juan Diego Networks. God bless you and thank you for listening.